0: Everybody and welcome back. It is Monday, January 10th, 2022, and you're listening to the third annual, Can I Say Something in 2021 year end extravaganza. I'm your host, Recluse with a Juicy Caboose, Damien. Joining me today is Derek McDuff. Today on the show, we have an assortment, a collection, assemblage, medley, melange, pastiche, a smorgasbord of the best movies, TV shows, books, and more of 2021 in this oversized and overstuffed episode. Spoilers abound for everything. Right into the show, bicycle at gmail.com, bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Rate, Interview it On Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, fan member, or stranger. Derek, what's up? How are we doing?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I was telling you just before we started recording here that I just got back from a trip, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Um, did you uh what's like the best stuff you watch this year? Is this year like better than you would say 2020. How would you compare 2021 in terms of the stuff you watched to uh, 2020?
1: I mean, honestly, I think this was not a great year. At least in terms yeah. of movies, it was a pretty it's a pretty rough year. You know, like yeah, I think uh, there was a lot of not great things that came out, like. Uh, Tom and Jerry would normally be one of, (laughs) probably the worst movie that would come out in any given year, but it's not even in my top five, or bottom five, for films that were released this year. I had five movies below it, Um, so I think, yeah, it was kind of a rough year for movies, not a lot of things that really, really wowed me. There was some good stuff, um, but there was a lot of middling and bad stuff, too, so...
0: Yeah, I if you listen to the show on Monday, if you were listening to the show, um, very like um, you know, TV shows were a big part of it too. I'll get to some of that stuff pretty soon here, but yeah, a lot of TV shows I watched. I feel like you know it's that thing of like, what's a what's a movie in twenty twenty one? What's a TV show? What is you know all that stuff? So yeah, a lot of the best stuff I saw this year was you know limited series shows i'm watching station 11 right now if i if that was done if i could talk about that in a in a full way that would probably be on the list but yeah it was very you're right it was a very weird very uh disparate very um what's the word just very broken up type of year where you, you didn't really know like what (laughs) <laughs> when stuff was coming out, yeah. you know, how good it was was going to be. Yeah, very, very weird year, I would say.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of it was just, you know, things, the release schedule got so disrupted last year. Yeah. And then where some things came out, but some things got pushed back. And, you know, not always the best stuff got pushed back. And a lot of stuff didn't, it couldn't even film last year. So that, you know, interrupted things and made things a little bit rougher and sometimes affected the quality I think of certain things like I think the end of Wandavision was really hurt by the filming in the pandemic. They were, you know, the final episode. it felt like yeah, was really missing something. Yeah. So I think that definitely has something to do with it. I think it was just an off year too.
0: Yeah, yeah, like you said, the pandemic definitely affected a lot of that stuff, a lot of the production of that. Um, yeah, like you were saying, just a lot of. I think the last time we talked, we talked about things like um, Card Counter. I don't want to spoil your list, or but this is on my list. But the Card Counter. Um just a little like, yeah, that was fine. That was good. That was like a three three and a half yeah, yeah. out of five, you know, just not not yeah. very overwhelmingly great things um that that were scattered throughout the year. But um yeah, let's get into it. Um so my number ten uh from twenty twenty one was Mayor of East Town, which I talked about on the first podcast I did. <clears throat> it's you know, it was very, very good. It's it's You know, that grounded, gritty detective story starring um, Kate Winslet. Um, You know, it's got David Denman. It's got... let me actually pull up the list here, but it's got so many people in it. You know, I think the the big thing this year for me with movies and TV shows was the supporting cast. You know, the the best thing I watched in terms of the MCU Phase Four stuff was Loki, and the the probably the strongest part of that was the supporting cast of all those people in there. And Mayor Mayor of Town is no different. It has just the world building in that. When you talk about world building, so much of it is, is the supporting cast and the uh, interactions and the interpersonal conflicts between those people was so so strong in this you, you felt like you were just dropped into the middle of a very complicated very dense very uh you know contains multitudes their relationship does so one of the one of the best things i saw this year probably one of my favorite kate wins the performances of all time really nice nice yeah did you happen to catch this this year
1: I, I did not i did not get a chance it's been one of the ones on my list i haven't yeah. been really watching as much TV as I usually watch, I've been watching a lot more films this year. Yeah. So I've been falling behind on a lot of uh, TV shows. I'm finally watching Cobra Kai right now. Um, oh, nice! For the for that's kind of been uh, enveloping my last couple <clears throat> days is just watching that whole show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I'm just there's a lot of TV that other than stuff that is, you know, things that I'm going back to that I'm trying to catch up on, like The Great, um, you know, which I'm. You know, I love the first season. I'm finally starting to get to watch the second season. I'm really not starting that many new shows other than limited series, which I will, you know, talk about at least one on here. But yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So really, really great. So what is your number 10 thing of 2021?
1: So uh, my number 10 is, um, oh, I'm going to start off with something that's going to crop up a couple times on my list. And I couldn't, you know, talk about a top 10 of the year stuff without talking about all the Marvel shows and Because they really did knock it out of the park, I think, with a lot of their, you know, kind of launching their Marvel TV. Um, And if I had to just choose one, which I'm just going to pick one for this list of the Marvel kind of show slash limited series. Uh, Even though it is getting season two, it does kind of feel like an isolated thing, uh, which is Loki. Um, I really, we've talked about it before on this show. Yeah. But I really dug it. Um, It felt like it is kind of easing us into this kind of bigger picture that the MCU is going to be going with. Going forward, um, it manages to kind of give us a character that's had a completed arc and give us a new version of him that we are still invested in while not feeling like the character that we saw was sacrificed. And it does a lot of weird, interesting, creative stuff. The kind of, like, weirder shit from the comics that you don't necessarily (laughs) see all the time on the big screen. Stuff like Alligator Loki, you know. (laughs) Um, And... And, you know, you just really do care about the characters and their dynamics while still being a cool sci-fi show. You do still care about Loki and Sylvie and Morbius and all these different people and kind of just the mystery of it. Um, so I thought it was just a really, really solid show.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things I saw this year, actually, now they think about it, you know, like I was saying with Mayor of Easttown, the... The built-in character um, relationships that they had, um, especially between Mobius and and Ravona Renslayer, you know, he's, those conversations they had in his office, where you can just tell these people have had, you know, years and years together and have so much history between each other, and that's conveyed really, really well. Not just in the performances, but also in the writing. Writing, I think, was the strongest out of all the MCU stuff so far this year, in terms of the uh, the TV stuff. I I love the show so much yeah yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. same page for sure
0: yeah yeah really really great Um, so my number nine thing of 2021 was Spider-Man No Way Home Um, I think did we talk about this or we I was about to see this in the last, last time we got together
1: yeah, I don't think we, we really got a chance to dig into it.
0: Yeah, I saw this uh, about a week later. Um, this was incredible. You know, this is one of the <laughs> it made a billion dollars during the pandemic, so that's incredible, right? Right there, um, it's one of the best movie going experiences I had since Endgame. So that you know, just giving me a taste of that again was incredible. I went to my local theater. It's not IMAX. It's not a huge theater. It probably holds maybe a hundred people, but still people that went there loved it. You know, at, at first it was sort of that, that thing of like, are we clapping? Are we doing the clapping thing? <laughs> I think the first time. Yeah. Um, let me see. What was it Daredevil appeared on the screen? There was like oh, some gasp here and there, some like yes, little claps here yes. and there. That was incredible. I love that. And then, um, of course, when the uh, portals start opening, you know they these movies draw me in so much that I'm like, wait, what's what's going on? I could hear whispering, I could hear gasping. And then, as um, Andrew Garfield, spoiler for this, but Andrew Garfield steps through the portal and he's like, wait, 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 he takes off his mask, and he's like, whoa. Just a great (laughs) cinematic going (laughs) experience. People uh, cheering and wooing just just so great. Um, Andrew Garfield, I think, stole this movie, unfortunately. Again, you know, the, the the conversation around Tom Holland's movies is that he doesn't actually get to star in his own movies, which I feel like is a little bit of the case here, too. You know, just because Andrew Garfield is such a great actor, and I think he's talked about this before, where he loves the role of Spider-Man. He loves being Spider-Man, and you can see it in his face <coughs> throughout this movie. He just loves playing that character, and you know, the the, the scene where uh mj falls off the the scaffolding and he falls and catches her and you know he's like are you okay she's like yeah he's like are you sure and it's just that the amount of emotion that he can display that he displayed in whatever it was 15 30 second scene in that movie was just incredible incredible so many so many moments from this movie we could talk all day about this but yeah i really really love this movie
1: yeah i i completely agree um but, you know, like, and it was really made me care about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, which I never yeah. did for his movies. I, I never, I never saw The Amazing Spider-Man 2 just because I didn't like the first one. I heard the second one was even worse. So I was just like, why do I even want to see this? And which is, for yeah. me, I'm a really big Spider-Man fan. For me to not see a Spider-Man movie in theaters is a big deal. But now I'm just like, I watched it and I was talking to my friend and we were like, do we have to go watch Amazing Spider-Man 2 now? <laughs> do we, I, Like, we actually care about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man? How is he yeah. the best part of this movie? So yeah, I, I completely agree with all yeah. that.
0: Yeah. And, and again, like they saying, you're making these past movies more meaningful. You are making them more robust when, you know, they've been doing that for a while now, especially with Endgame and, uh, you know, uh, shoring up the... The you know Thor two storyline there you have all all of these a lot of these shows are just going back and you know making the previous entries in the MCU even stronger which I think is is really incredible yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so my number eight thing of 2021 was the power of oh, the wait dog. do I get a, yeah. do I get a number my number Oh, oh I'm sorry I forgot I forgot to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at this like if you go back and listen to every any podcast I do with top 10 list I'm like always skipping around people and forgetting people yeah. Sorry about that. What is your number nine thing of 2021?
1: Uh, So my number nine thing uh, was, and I kind of was just going back and forth on this even now in my mind, but I got to keep no sudden move on mine. We've talked, I've Mm. talked about it before uh, when we did kind of the podcast of uh, stuff that had been released up to that point, halfway through the year, it was my number one, but Mm. yeah, just to kind of reiterate a little bit that this was Steven Soderbergh movie, a HBO max original. So not very big. Didn't get a lot of fanfare. Uh, I don't think a lot of people were crazy about it, but I it felt like just a really good little movie with a really talented cast that was just kind of like a mystery, you like it just kind of keeps building and building, and it just in that Soderbergh way where it's just you the characters and the performances that he gets out of these really great actors um, is just something else, and I just thought it was a really cool movie with a really important message that um, didn't feel heavy handed, um, like you know, as much as I looked like don't look up this year, it's not going to be on my list. Um, but, you know, that film, movie felt maybe a little bit heavy handed with its message. This one felt a lot more um, subtle and it wasn't beating you over the head with the fact that it was like, okay, you're watching this movie about these two kind of characters making their way through the world. And it is also saying, hey, uh, maybe uh, be worried a little bit about this thing. So I, I did really love that movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely did too. Um, one of my favorite Soderbergh movies from the past few years. Um, very interesting. I was watching either a YouTube video or something about how, you know, the car industry then and f- for a very long time basically since the you know the entire history of modern you know infrastructure building in this country has been just sabotaging anything that can be a threat to their um you know reign basically over this country yeah. they yeah. they killed electric car they killed any sort of uh mass transit any trolleys any mm-hmm. um you know train any high speed any high speed rail in this country was decimated by them they just bought up all that stuff and destroyed it so and this is another example of that of them just you know getting together as a as a cabal as a mafia in this country to just <clears throat> keep their keep the uh, what was it the tire the tire industry and the car industry you know colluded just to keep Keep everything down. Keep keep their monopoly. Keep their, um, you know, power power in this country. And it's just so sad and so uh, infuriating to just think about. (laughs) Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, no sudden move. Very, very, very good movie. Um, So my number eight thing of 2021 is the Power of the Dog. I had it number five uh, on on Monday, but I'm moving it down just because I've seen a few other things. I've thought about a few other things. Um, Power of the Dog is is so so good. It is about you know what the the plot is. You know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch just plays uh, uh, just a very evil evil man. Um, You know, is so cruel and mean to his brother's wife's son you know um and it's so much about repression it is about toxic masculinity um it's referenced a couple times that he had this relationship maybe it was a homo- uh, homosexual relationship with Barco Henry a few <coughs> a few years ago so it's about that you know there that that Jane Campion that's what that's the world she lives in is repression sexual repression uh masculinity um I think she is like the well, is she, she's from New Zealand correct I believe um jane campion yeah yeah
1: she's from new zealand yeah
0: yeah she's so she's basically i think in my mind like the one car Wai of new zealand very much about (laughs) longing and repression and sexuality and things like that so yeah definitely i would highly recommend this for anybody that that is a fan of things like that
1: yeah no i i really enjoyed it too i thought it was a very very powerful movie you know i kind of had a lot of discussions with somebody about the end and what do you think this meant and what do you think this was um, you know, I think this is a film that you could probably read a couple different ways, uh, but yeah, I really, really did like this one as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, so good. Uh, so, what is your number eight thing of 2021?
1: So, my number eight thing is Dune or uh, Dune Part One, I guess, yes. as it should be called. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is the best half movie that I've seen in. Um. Who knows yeah. how long? Yeah. Uh. This is yeah. It was it was fucking great. You know. Um. Just it's really cool to see just a movie on that is this big of a budget that is not based on, it's not like a sequel or, I mean, I know there was a Dune in the eighties, you know, mm. um, but you know, you don't really get a lot of movies like this that are this kind of have this much of a scale that succeeded the boss uh, box office. Usually when you get a movie like this, that's just this, this weird and has all this crazy world building and stuff. It usually ends up being a huge disaster. Um, and even some of, Denny's previous movies, you know, like I was really worried after Blade Runner 2049 did not do particularly well um, financially, but I thought it was a great movie. But yeah, this one, it just, it just scratches that sci-fi itch, you know, that I love world building and all the kind of just like the details that are put in this world. And maybe not since Lord of the Rings have I seen something where a book was adapted with this much care to the big screen where you can tell that they really care about this whole, you know, fictional kind of just elaborate mythology that has been created. Um, so it was really cool to see that. I'm really curious to see where it goes from here. I loved all the performances. It, you know, all, I love just, you know, this, the scale and the scope of this huge sci-fi world. Like this does not feel cheap. I'm glad that they put as much money as it did and that it because it kind of signals like, hey, you, you we, these movies, you can keep making these movies that are based on these weird as sci-fi things and they can still be profitable um so you know it wasn't a perfect movie um you know i think that there was some of the, the the main character was not the most interesting but it is just the start of his journey it is just part one like i said this is half of a movie and uh i'm excited to see dune part two and then you know the i think he's do was it uh, uh emperor of dune uh, yeah. something like that it's gonna be yeah so excited
0: yeah. for that yeah god emperor of doom i think is like the third one in that series yeah i've read all the books but I'm yeah, yeah yeah not quite sure of the order they go in but yeah just incredible movie um really well said i, I it's kick-started my re-love of theaters theater going i saw this in october and i think i've seen five or six <clears throat> five or six movies since then in theaters um <laughs> i saw it in imax um yeah, just just a great theater going experience. Really, really loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some people say it was too loud, um, uh-huh. but yeah, like you said, the the uh, money they put into it, you can definitely see it on the screen there. Uh, a lot of the practical mm-hmm. effects are really well done. I love the I love it when you know you you put practical effects and you merge your... <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> uh, it's just cold today or something. Um, uh-huh. You know that that old school like. Merging a practical in CGI, you saw, and things like, you know, Jurassic Park back in the day. They're doing it now, mm-hmm. but on a much, much bigger scale. And I think, Denis, I wonder, I wonder if you um, would agree with this is Denis Villeneuve is sort of the Christopher Nolan. Like, he, Christopher Nolan kind of wants to be what Denis Villeneuve does because what Denis Villeneuve does I in my mind better than Nolan is building a world in which you actually care about the characters and have emotional attachment to them and he builds fully fleshed out fully realized characters when you know looking at, at Nolan he does big budget big scoped things but I think he does sort of miss the mark when it comes to character development what do you agree with that?
1: I feel like I don't. I think Nolan is not as concerned with characters as Denny. Like, I think that they have different objectives. Like, they're both, like, guys who are, like, we want to make this really big spectacle thing. But, like, I think that Nolan is much more of a machinations of, like, the story and, like, how did this. How does this story relate to something? And, you know, the characters kind of are not super important to him. The characters are more just, like, stand. They're, like, very. What's the, what's the word? I guess they're just kind of... Um,
0: placeholders?
1: They're just kind of like, yes, pla- placeholders or just kind of like, you know, just kind of like they could be anybody. They're just kind of like figures yeah. to be there yeah. and move the plot forward. He's a lot more plot-centric and not, but I'm saying uh, does Villeneuve doesn't, isn't concerned about plot as well, because right. he clearly is. But I think that they have different, very different storytelling methods. Um, Nolan is mu- much more concerned with like, you know, inception and like having all these different layers of stories and even in something that is should like most filmmakers would have a very straightforward movie like dunkirk like it's still told in three different layers and yeah um they're just very i think they're very different sci-fi directors um and who tell their stories in a much more different like nolan's more like a tarantino to me i mean tarantino also has good characters but he's really interested in kind of like these complex story systems and like telling things out of order. Whereas I don't think Dennyville knew, well, I guess he could say that with, um, arrival, but that's kind of yeah. like, you know, dependent on the stories telling he hasn't really done anything like that. So there, yeah, I think that it's, it's kind of an apples and oranges thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Um, let see. So we're at number seven, correct? <clears throat>
1: That sounds right. Yeah, sounds
0: right. (laughs) So my Uh number seven, I just saw a few days ago, kind of blew my mind. Um, This is a movie, this is a documentary called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. It is a documentary about um, folk horror, the the history, and giving examples of and talking about the history of folk horror in cinema. Um, So folk horror, for for those that don't know, it would be something like, you know, recently, uh, Midsommar, Arias, Midsommar, you know, back in the day, you'd have things like, uh, sort of American version would be pet cemetery. Um, try to find more examples on here. But yeah, it's just the, um, the wicker man is a great example of that. Uh, Robert Eggers, the witch is, is an example of that. So it's a really great, it's three hours. So it's a little, little long. But if you're into this sort of like deep diving into the minutiae of, uh, a subgenre of film. I would highly recommend this this movie. This it gets in. If you're, you know, I watched all of Get Back, all of the Beatles Get Back. So I'm so so interested in in deep diving into one subject for a long time. And they do a really good job of you know they go from uh, '70s and '80s folk horror in England. They move over to uh, was the next one? I think it was I think it was America talking about things like um, Native American horror. Um, You know, the ways in which they, they use like, you know, Indian burial grounds and they're, they're talking to the, uh, to the interviewers and everyone's like, you know, that's such a not great trope because if you think about it, the entire fucking country is one big giant Indian burial ground. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's just, um, a lot of that, a lot of, um, uh, Appalachian horror with uh, things like obviously Deliverance, um, so it just mm-hmm. just gets into uh, Japanese horror, obviously with things like House from the seventies was a, was a great version of that. So it gets really really deep into uh, into all of that. So I, I would highly if you if you are into folk horror, if you're into deep diving into a very niche subject, I would highly rec- recommend watching Woodlands Darkened Days: Bewitched, A History of Folk Horror.
1: Okay, I'll have to, yeah. yeah check that one out. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very oh, okay, good. cool, cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, what is your number seven?
1: So my number seven is one that I only caught recently. It was released at the beginning of the year, um, but it cropped up on Hulu not too long ago. It was one of these ones that just kind of got delayed because of the pandemic, and then I feel like nobody really saw it when it came out. But that is uh, Barb and Stargo to Vista Del Mar. I love this uh, movie.
0: I love this movie.
1: <laughs> absolutely hilarious. You know, I was like, all right, I just kind of need something to watch for a couple yeah. hours. I heard really good things about it from one of my friends. And I was like, you know, let me just check this out. It'll be entertaining. I never thought that it would make it my you know top 10 list. But man, this movie was <laughs> so funny. Yes. It was just like the perfect farce um everyone in it is hilarious like it's the you know riding team from bridesmaids well, working together for the first time um and now uh, both of them are in front of the camera um so that's uh, Kristen wig and uh any uh Mualo. uh jamie dornan is in it also hilarious yes. in it like yes. i did not know that he was this funny and this good <laughs> yeah. of a singer like holy shit yeah. um yeah it feels it's just it feels like one of those SNL movies from the 90s that were really good yeah. when they would just have this, like, you know, Wayne's World or Night at the Roxbury. They would have just kind of the sketch, and they're like, okay, what's well, about these two guys or whatever? Now they're going out into the world. And it totally feels like that because it even has, like, starting with that setup of, like, oh, we're on the couch every day. But it's not. It's just, like, just, you know, an original thing. Yeah. I was like, is this based? Was this a Kristen <laughs> Wiig character on SNL? I'd never heard of it. But no, and it's just so ridiculous and over the top and just has all these dumb little farce jokes and um yeah i i absolutely love it the scene where they they get really get really drunk and take drugs and um (laughs) they have to find the little (laughs) the slime at the bottom of the thing and they just like are raving to my heart will go on i was fucking dying so i i can't like i cannot recommend this enough it's on hulu Like anybody out there who's listening if you want to just like forget your troubles for like an hour and a half or two hours whatever it is just like throw this on you will your size will be bursting i love this movie
0: (laughs) so good they have the the talking club with uh phyllis smith and vanessa bayer yeah (laughs) so incredible uh phyllis from the office actually just just realized that looking at her picture there (coughs) but so yeah yeah yeah. so so great um what's her name um Crystal wig plays two two roles. She plays one of the villains mm-hmm. in here too. Uh, yeah, she just just incredible. You just have to watch it. Just <laughs> so many scenes. Yeah. Just just cracking up. Yeah, uh, Barbara Starr go to Vistal Del Mar. One of the like it's gonna be one of those things you you hear about in like five years. People people discover it on VOD or like a Netflix or whatever. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be one of those. Love this
1: movie.
0: Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my number six is Mitchell's versus the machines. This was my number three. Mm. Uh, Monday, but I moved it down for a couple other things. This is, you know, I've talked about it multiple times, but it's just so perfect, so great. There's, you know. It's one of those you can go back and watch 10 15 times and see something different, catch a different joke in the background or a little thing here and there. She makes uh, the main character makes these little movies um, on her computer and there's there's so much going on all the time. It has that manic super fast uh, animation style from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, so that that's great if you're like that. Yeah. Really really great. Can't can't talk enough about this movie.
1: Yeah, no, it's just a really fun, you know, like you said from the same team that worked on uh, into the spider verse you know lord and miller worked on it and so really hilarious just fun movie that feels like you know maybe it's really perfect for like an older kid um but yeah definitely as an adult you could really really enjoy it as well just very wholesome and just uh without feeling like it's cheesy at all just really really just good and funny movie
0: yeah, funny and great message, great message for parents who, you know, uh, Dan was talking about this on Monday, but he's saying, you know, <clears throat> right now with technology going at light speed, it's so easy to get lost and get left behind, feel like you're left behind uh, in terms of what your kid is, is into. Um, and it's a great way to being like, you know, you don't have to like be, de- you don't have to dive deep into what they're like, and you don't have to like, you know, download all the apps and stuff, but you just, you know, relate relate to them on their level. And sort of ask them what they're doing and things like that. So, yeah, really, really great message. Talked in there with, with, the, with the sugar. Helps the medicine go down there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, my, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something I think you saw the other day, which is my number five uh, thing in 2021. Wait,
1: I, uh, I'm on my six now. Oh, sorry. I, think, right? I forgot you again. Did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry, right. sorry, sorry, All sorry, sorry. Right. Uh, go ahead. No, so I'm on six, right? Six, that's, yes. That's right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay. All right, so um, I'm going to be – so this is a weird one because it's like I'm not sure if this counts as a movie or a show or like a YouTube series because it did uh, debut on YouTube. Uh, It's too bad Dion's not here because it's a sports thing. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's uh, the history of the Atlanta Falcons, um, which is something I think I briefly mentioned before. Or I mentioned the the one – this is the follow-up to uh, John Boyce who and Secret Base um, SB Nation uh, did their – uh, documentary uh, last year on the history of the seattle mariners and now they did one on the history of the atlanta falcons and it's just it's i think that even if you're not a sports fan this is a documentary that you could really really enjoy because it is about these um like perennial not losers but like just like kind of kind of because it's like the <laughs> you know the first six parts are just about how they've had like it the, is such like a weird team that's had all this weird luck and all these insane things happen to them and have had all these ups and downs and mostly downs over the years. And just kind of, you know, being there in the, the South, but in this, you know, very Democratic part has just been a very weird thing where there, you know, uh, there's, there's all these different cultures clashing and just really like it's a very African-American area, but just also just being there in the heart of Georgia, which is, you know, very much a red state. And uh, the last part is just kind of devoted to the thing that is, you know, the Falcons are most known for, especially the past few years, which is that loss in the Super Bowl to the Patriots and how that happened right after the election. And it kind of became like a way for like, uh, you know, people to just kind of like be like, okay, the Patriots are the bad guys, which they always have been like, let's face it, they're always been like awful cheaters. Yeah. But like, and you know, like, you know, uh, how Bill Belichick is friends with Trump and he's kind of that guy. And then you also have Tom Brady, who's just like, well, you know, I just, I, I'm not, (laughs) what he's, I, 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 I liked him. Well, I don't know if, has has he said some racist stuff? I wasn't paying attention. I just played football. You know, it's like one of those guys, you know? And so then you have like the Atlanta Falcons, these kind of just like, the guys who were not even supposed to be here, and then they're beating the shit out of him. It's like, oh my god, we got it. And then just to see it slowly kind of slip away, it's just like, we can't have nice things. It's just It's it's a really, really great documentary. I would say if you, you know, watch the whole thing, anybody who's listening, um, but at least if you can't do that, just watch the last part. Um, they're split up into about 20, 30 minute chunks. Um, so. You know, definitely watch that last thirty-minute chunk. That's it's just part seven, but it's yeah. really just fascinating. You know, thing that's what I love about sports is that it. You know, on the surface, it's just a sports. You know, just like you know these two teams going against each other, but it really tells us so much more about human nature and what's going on in the world through this very small microcosm. And this documentary um, does just such a good job of that. And it looks and it's it's really just you know just kind of like talk. It's no talking heads or anything. It's just kind of like a graph and looking at like kind of like grainy B-roll footage and just kind of seeing the ups and downs. And uh, the way it's done is really cool because it shows like the amount of losses that they've had over the years and kind of look makes the outline of the logo on the Falcon's wing. So, yeah, check it out, anybody who's Thanks. listening.
0: And where can we find that?
1: Uh, that's just on YouTube. So just oh, look okay. up YouTube um, SB Nation or History of the Atlanta Falcons. It'll come up. It's you know free on YouTube.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um, before we get to number five, let's take a quick break. Take, I'll take a quick uh, bathroom break, and then we'll come back and do our top five. Sounds good. And we're back for top five things of 2021. Um, so this this movie that I'm about to talk about, I think you just saw the other day. This is one of the most incredible, inventive um, movies I've seen in a really long time. It is Annette from Leros Kerox. Yeah. Yes,
1: I did just see this.
0: Yes, yeah, I saw this on your um, letterbox. This is incredible. This is from Lars Krak. He did one of one of my favorite movies from the past ten years. I guess be fifteen years almost now. <laughs> Holy Motors in twenty twelve. Um, really, really unique, inventive way of storytelling. It was basically about I, I I couldn't even get to what it's about, but it's basically like your, your identity and as an actor playing different roles. Um, that sort of thing. And I think Annette is very much that too. Um, this stars Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and Simon Helberg, and a, also stars a, uh, little doll, a, a doll called Annette. Uh, Adam Driver's character, Henry, and Marion Cotillard's Anne have a baby, and the baby is, uh, represent- representative as a, as a doll throughout the rest of the movie, which sounds like it wouldn't work, but it really does. Um, <laughs> The music was done by uh Sparks Brothers, which I was just introduced to earlier earlier this year with a with a great documentary called Sparks. Um yeah, this movie is wild. It starts off with them like in a recording studio and they walk out into the street and start singing a song, like let's get let's like let's get started or something like that. And it mm-hmm. just gets wilder and wilder from there. I really <laughs> there's so many scenes <laughs> and set pieces and just Wild, wild storytelling, uh, storytelling techniques that I've really never seen before. Adam Driver plays this really controversial uh, um, comic, stand-up comic and he does some wild, you know, stand-up routines and his wife is a, is an opera singer which Marion Cotillard I don't I don't know if she was trained up op- as an opera singer but I know she was in that movie that she, I believe she was either nominated for <coughs> or won an award for. The, um, yeah, Love Vivian
1: Rose I think is what it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it but I know she was uh, you know, that was one of her big breakout roles then. Um, and she does you know, I think she plays an opera singer here. This is just a wild movie. Uh, let me hear what you think about this movie. <laughs>
1: I'm still not sure, to be honest. Yeah, like, I watched yeah. this movie two or three days ago, and I still haven't given it a, a rating on Letterbox because I'm like, yeah. I, I I don't know. Like, it's, yeah. it's such a mind-bender, this movie. I've, like, just been thinking about it so much for the past few days, because I did want to watch it, you know, in anticipation of just talking about, like, you know, best stuff of the year.
0: Yeah. And
1: I was like, I do, I, I, it was like it's, I'm like, was this great, or was it just pretentious, or like, yeah. what, like, because it's one of those movies I'm like, I don't know what it was saying. It's, it's something I, I've just, you know, it did its job in getting me to think about it a lot. And I still not sure exactly where I come down on it because it was very, very interesting. Um, hard to watch at times. Um, but I think intentionally so, you know, you have that whole song about, you know, Adam driver, like abusing women and stuff like that. It's just like, the six women have, and I'm just like, Jesus, Adam (laughs) driver has been having a, fucking year for like yeah. playing like like good for him too like for play like because i feel like not very many actors would like put themselves in roles like this where they would just take roles where they're playing horrible people right. like this um right like maybe not since michael douglas and you know maybe ben affleck 10 years ago um yeah. which is something i'll get to um in a little bit but um yeah i i, I still am thinking about it and trying yeah. to decide if I like, I'm like, I think I might just have to give it a rating of three stars at some point. Cause I'm like, it's got like, it's average just because it's like, it, this is either a five-star movie or a one-star movie. And I can't tell which, so maybe yeah. I just got to pick the average.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing you're left with, I mean, the thing I was left with anyway, was that last scene in, in the jail. Like he's, Adam Driver is in jail and his daughter comes and visits him. And it's this really weird, like, it's another, it's a great song. Great, you know um it's dance choreography or whatever you want to call it but it was just a uh, probably the best scene in the movie and it just left you with this feeling of just like this is really unique again it's just wild unique inventive storytelling technique and was it good? Like you said, was it good? <laughs> Did it leave you <laughs> yeah. feeling like yeah. this, I, this is worth my time? I mean, it's definitely worth your time, and it's just something you have to experience. Mm-hmm. It's an experience, is the best way to put it. You know, yeah. it's neither good, bad, great. <laughs> it's just something you, you really have to see to believe it. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. It's definitely I think something that people I think should experience, and it didn't grab me in something else way that like last year when I watched. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, that yes. was just so weird, and I was so captivated. This was yes. more like. I'm trying to figure this out the whole time and like if I, how I feel about it. And I still, like, days later, I'm not sure, like I said.
0: Which is a great, you know. It's a, it's a great review of a movie to say, like, this really hit me so hard that I don't know. <laughs> it just confounded me, left me in a, in a daze and, and left me wondering how I should feel about it. that That's, you know, that's a positive thing to say about a, about a thing sometimes. Um, so what is your number five thing of 2021?
1: So my number five is um, one that I had been meaning to watch for a while. I missed it in theaters because it only had a very brief theatrical run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually got to watch it when I was on... Um, a plane the other day, uh, going up to my vacation, um, and that was uh, Joe Carnahan's Shop uh, Cop Shop, uh, which shop. is just a really great. Um, I bet the best way I could probably put it is a dumb, sm- a smart dumb action movie. Like it seems like it's just you know, he does that a lot where he makes these. You know, he did Smoke and Aces and The Gray. Um, he's made all these kind of great, just like shoot'em em up movies that are actually so much more than that. And I think this is one of the most inventive, just pure action films that I've seen in quite some time. Uh, you know, it's got uh, Gerald Butler, Frank Grillo, um, and then a couple people who are a little less famous. Um, uh, Alexis louder and then Toby Huss plays this absolutely insane madman. And a lot of movies, you know, I'm reading actually right now a book on um kind of like storytelling and screenwriting and one of the things they talk about a lot is you can have just your good guy your bad guy opposition like so many things do but what's a lot more interesting is what the book calls four corner opposition where you have these four characters and each of them wants something different um they're each in these kind of but kind of slight you know slightly different than the other one and they're all have the reasons for wanting to Work together or with against the other one, mm-hmm. so they're all kind of in opposition of each other. These four corners, yeah. and I. This is the first movie that I've seen since I've read that where I was like, "Oh my god, this this completely hits it." Because these four characters, you know, just to sum it up quickly, there's a character played by um, Frank Grillo who kind of gets arrested. Uh, Teddy, who he's kind of just trying to get himself protected because he's working with the mob, and then the cop who arrested him. These two, uh, this hitman comes in, He pretending to be a drunk guy, so he gets arrested too, and then this other hitman who's a lot crazier comes in <laughs> and he's just like, this looty-toot scare, and you're just kind of like, the way that, like, they all are kind of just interacting with each other, and it's like, who trusts who, who aligns with who, who gonna, who's gonna backstab who, and they all are just kind of like, just in this mess and anyone like, you're like, Oh man, maybe this person's going to die at this time. and Oh wait, maybe they're not actually dead. And this person going to come back and they just kind of, you know, there's other characters that come in, but it is really just this four point thing. And just, if you like good action movies, Joe Carnahan makes really smart action movies. You know, it's, it's made for $5 million, but it looks like a movie that was made for like 30 or $40 million. He's yeah. really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is definitely, I feel like the successor to smoke and aces, which is a very underrated movie. But yeah, I, I'm really glad that I finally got a chance to watch this. That it was, because it feels like I was like, this movie feels like it would be one that would be on a plane, because it's like, it yeah. didn't do super well, but people still kind of knew about it. So maybe, and, you know, I was lucky enough to get a chance to watch it. And uh, yeah, I would recommend it to just about anybody.
0: Yeah, a lot of the descriptions you were, you were mentioning there sounds like uh, Bad Times at the El Royale from a few years ago. Yes. Oh uh, my God. Yes. It's,
1: it's a lot like that. Yeah. I think Drew Goddard is in the same kind of category. Yes as okay. um, I, I absolutely love Bad Times of yeah. the Royale um, so it is very much that same kind of yes.
0: feel nice nice yeah I haven't seen Cop Shop yet but just based on that description I'll, I'll definitely check it out after this very cool uh, let's see so we're at my number four I I kept Midnight Mass at number four it was in my top three on Monday moved it down um, yeah I pretty much said everything then but it's, it's such a masterpiece of you know about t- talking about um you know it's it's, it's about fanaticism like religious fun, uh, fundamentalism uh spirituality belief it's about you know fundamentalism when you, when, when it comes to people just saying like, this is, this is the religion, this is the word of God. And if you don't believe it, then you're a non-believer, you're a heretic, you're a whatever, you're either with us or you're against us. It's very much about that. So you can, you know, apply that to many different things these days, you know, politics and sports and so many different things. Um, It's it's so much about that. It's about communication um, because I I think the dialogue between um, two of the main characters um, in that in that room when they're talking about where do you go when you die um, is about that about you know people having disparate beliefs but also coming together and saying like okay, you believe this I believe that but let's just talk it out we don't have to you know they they are let me let me pull up the uh, actual names here because Bev is you know the fanatic of the island right um, you have you know Aaron and Riley are, you know, the (laughs) exact opposite of Bev, you know, they are people that have, that have different beliefs, but they're also able to come together and say, listen, you believe that, but we're, we're going to come to an agreement here as opposed to Bev. Um, you know, great, um, really interesting comparison that Mike Flanagan draws between angels and vampires, where if you look at, look at the Bible and description of the Bible, how they describe angels, you know, very much can, translate directly to modern day vampires so that was a very interesting um take on that just a just a great show um overall you know seven episodes i think there's a there's another thing on my list which was seven episodes uh mayor of east town i think you know just things uh, again talking about (coughs) the way uh storytellers are, are putting this stuff out there um seven episodes great great um you know template for that it doesn't need to be it, they're telling stories that don't fit into uh, an hour and a half, two hour, three hour template with movies. And they also don't have uh, so much story that they're going to put into a ten, 10, episodes, 11 episodes. It doesn't have to be that big. I think now with the streaming services, that's a plus there where if you have a story that has a beginning, middle and an end, and it's a seven-hour story, you can just make it. I think that's seven episodes. I think that's really, really great way you can customize your storytelling these days. So, yeah, uh, Midnight Mass, so, 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 so good.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's actually also my number four. Nice. Um, this, this definitely feels like something that was made specifically for me. Sometimes, you know, you come yeah. across something, and you're like, wow, this just is everything that I'm interested in, you know, because, you know, it does have that kind of, that It's so the kind of horror that I really love where it is more just kind of like builds and builds and builds and it's not a lot of jump horror. It's a lot of just kind of like making you feel very uncomfortable with things that feel like they're tied into the real world even when they are very fantastical. I'm also very interested in shows about religion and lapsed religion and things like that. And just kind of – I like that it shows the positive and the negative aspects of religion and how they all just kind of come from people and how people – relate to that and hamish linklater's performance in it i think is incredible like we have been sleeping on this guy like between this and legion which i also saw this year i was like Mm. holy shit like get this guy all of the awards like incredible um but yeah i he's such a interesting complex character where he is kind of doing these things that are obviously morally reprehensible but he's doing them for the right reasons he's doing them for what he is are you know good reasons you know you could look at this and be like yeah i understand his motives and you know his explanations unlike bev which is she's just kind of like can find a reason for anything it's like you get why (laughs) he thinks that this is the right thing to do even though it is wrong you kind of see him go down this path and just all the different characters and i just really it's really interesting with the way that you know i mike flanagan you know i haven't really seen any of his other stuff i know a lot of my friends who are big horror people always recommend it but this was the one for me that i was like i have to absolutely watch this and just, you know, stuff on religion and just the way that we handle it and religious institutions, how they differ from the way that, you know, faith is very personal to people and everyone interprets yeah. it differently. Um, it doesn't come down hard on one side or other. it doesn't, you know, condemn atheism or, but it does, and it doesn't prop up Christianity, but it doesn't also, it's, it's like there is some good stuff with people with faith. Um So I thought that it was a very... Very interesting show that, you know, uh, like my friends who are just completely atheist who loved it. I have a friend who's incredibly Catholic who loved it. um, So I thought it was a a brilliant Mm. show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Really was said. Uh, One of the best things this year. Um, So we are number three. My my number three thing of 2021 was Teton. Again, this is something I moved up the list after thinking about it because it is just – it's, it's about so many different things. It's about uh, gender identity. Um, it's basically a movie about um, a girl who is in a car accident early on in her life and has a metal plate put into her head. <coughs> During the middle uh, or the beginning of the movie, she's. Um, I think I'm this for all of this stuff, but she you know, goes off the deep end and just starts going on this murder spree and has to go on the run and, uh, pretends to be um, a man. She's a, she's a female. She has to pretend to be a man. So it's about gender identity. It's about grief about her, you know, losing her father and mother early on. (coughs) It's about, you know, body horror, a lot of body horror. Uh, it's about, uh, childbirth, the fear of that. Uh, she has, relations with the car somehow and then becomes impregnated by the Again, car. Again, this is the second um, time that this director
1: has done, done that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Raw. Raw was her Julia DeCornay's uh, Raw came out a few years ago. Very much about that. Very much, very much about things going into your body and coming out of your body. Um, yeah, she does that really, really well. Uh, so yeah, that was my number three is uh Teton.
1: I needed to see that. I still haven't gotten a chance yeah. to see it cause I don't think it ever got a wide release. Yeah. So I never got a chance to see it. Um, but yeah, it was one that I, I hear is really, really divisive. Um, so yeah. like in it, um, so it's, I, it's probably one of those ones where I'll watch it and be like, Oh man, I don't, I'll have to think about it for a little It's like, it's <laughs> like, a, if you ever saw a walk hard, just like Dewey Cox has to yeah. think about his entire life before he goes <laughs> on stage. So, so that was, that's how I feel after watching movies. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, definitely need uh, that one's on my, been on my need to watch list for a while.
0: Yeah, it's uh currently um, on VOD on Amazon for $5, yeah. $5 $5 to rent right now. Um so, to by the bullet. Yeah, yeah. What is your number 3 thing of 2021?
1: So, I really have gone back and forth a lot with my top 3. Um these ones are all movies that uh ha- like I've saw in the theaters this year just could not get enough of them. Um but my number 3 is The Green Knights. Which is another just kind of divisive movie. Very, very weird. Um, An A24 movie where you're just kind of like, what is happening half the time? And it's just, it's weird and there's some interesting directorial choices. But I really, David Lowry is one of my favorite directors, um, you know, working today. Uh, He's really interesting and creative. uh, And I really like his take on the King Arthur myth, um, you know, because the King Arthur myths are so vast and just, you know, there's so much of them. It's it's like the Avengers of, you know, the olden days, but even so much more than that. There are just so many stories that are all tied to that. But whenever you get a film about... King Arthur, it's always just kind of like, okay, it's Arthur, and then sometimes it will be like, oh, but this is the story of Arthur you haven't heard before, this is Merlin when he was young, and you're like, okay, I've actually seen that three times, though. Like, this is an actual King Arthur story from the Legendarium that is, you know, it's a famous poem and stuff that is tied into that, where Arthur does appear in a background role, and all these kind of famous knights appear in background roles, but it is about a different character that you don't really see that much, and it is just kind of you know, you're just, there's all these scenes, you're like, what was happening? Like, yeah, what did that scene mean? Like, why did the yeah. kid, like, why did she jack him off with the thing? Like, <laughs> what is happening now? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I did think about it a lot when I, I saw it, but, you know, ultimately, I came down on really, really enjoying it. Um, it's not a movie for everybody, that's for sure, but it was a yeah. movie for me.
0: Yeah, um, unfortunately, not in my top uh, 10, it moved down pretty far, but yeah, I still really enjoyed it. Um yeah, I enjoyed all the actors in it. Um, what was the uh, the main actor in that um,
1: uh, Dev Patel, who I yeah, I yeah like this is I really liked him. Like I been kind of hot and cold on him. Like I didn't really think he was great when he kind of broke out on Slumdog Millionaire, but he's an actor that I think has grown a lot over the years, um, and just kind of has found his own thing. And I think that he really was a perfect fit for this film
0: yeah yeah really really great uh cinematography um great vistas of scotland i believe is where they film that yeah really 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 great brick i uh, wish i found a place for that in my top 10 um let's see so we're going to number two um my number two film is again something i've just saw recently just uh very recently but it Really, just again, just like with Annette, I was like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" It is trying to find the director's name. Uh, Paul Verhoeven's *Benedetta*. This uh, this movie is fucking yeah. This movie is fucking wild. Dude. <laughs> Um let me see. Yeah, it stars stars Virginia Efren <coughs> um as Benedetta. New on the scene apparently. Haven't seen much of her. Um in movies like An Impossible Love, Sybil and Bye Bye Morons, bunch of stuff I'd never even heard of. Um but it's also starring Charlotte Rampley as the Abbess. Um you got Lambert Wilson, who was the um uh in the Matrix films, he was the uh Oh, uh, the, was the Merovingian name? Mayor Vinci, and yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was
1: that.
0: Did you see Resurrections? I did, yeah.
1: I I, I, was, I had mixed thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but he was he was wild in that. <laughs> Came back yeah. in that. Um so yeah, Benedetta just it's just a wild movie about um I don't even know what the fuck's it about really. <laughs> this woman who has like possessed by the by the devil and she's like accusing other people of it. Just this is what people are basically referring to it as as like a midnight mass but with sexy nuns. Just nuns fucking ah. all over the place. Um, just there's there's weird sexuality all around this thing. There's one part where um Charlotte Rampling travels to um let's see, what's his name, the Abessa's, like, compound or whatever, <clears throat> and one of the the serving girls comes out and she's pregnant, and she's like, I have really fresh milk. She just whips out her tit and just starts leaking milk <laughs> out of her boob. And she's like, what is this fucking movie? Paul Verhoeven is, you know, for, for those who don't know, was the, you know, director of RoboCop and Hollow Man, Starship Troopers, Total Recall. Um, so just very transgressive director. He's one of these guys that makes makes films. And this is a film that people talk about, I think are going to be talking about, where it's just like, oh, you couldn't make you know fucking Blazing Saddles today. No, actually, look huh. at this movie and tell me you couldn't make Bla- Blazing Saddles today. Fucking got nuns over here just fucking and just it's crazy. One of the most insane movies I've seen today. Um, I would absolutely, watch, uh, absolutely recommend watching this movie. Yeah, just incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting. I haven't seen it yet. I've been wanting yeah. to. It's another one of those movies that just never got a wide release. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, Verhoeven, I love all of his like 80s, 90s action movies, all the ones yeah. you had brought up, you know, and obviously like stuff like Basic Instinct and stuff. So he's, yep. I kind of know him as this like, you know, big budget film director who makes these, you know, really big movies that, like, have, like, weird layers where, like, oh, yeah, on the surface, Total Recall is just, like, an action movie with Arnold in it, but actually, like, is this all a dream? Like, what's it saying? You know, like, Starship Troopers, is that, like, a critique of, like, fascism? Like, Robocop is, like, an allegory for Jesus? (laughs) And Like, you know, so those are all these big action movies, so I was really curious to see what he does in just kind of a, you know... A, a quote unquote, as we would see it over here, a foreign language film that is just yeah. on a much smaller budget, not these movies that he was making in the 80s, 90s. So I do need to see it at some point because yeah. he is, yeah, very much a director who just does not care about like what social norms are or, or, or like anything like that. So uh, yeah. I would be very curious <laughs> to see what he would do. With
0: this, Yeah, he had to do just just wild performances again by Virginia uh, F. F. Ephoria, something like that. But yeah, just, uh, one of those, like, where did this person come from? Um, she's, mm-hmm. you know, possessed, possessed by some sort of demon spirit. So she's constantly flipping out and doing all these wild manic performances with her body. Yeah, just, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Again, another wild movie. Uh, so that was my number two. What is your number two thing of 2021?
1: Uh, my number two thing was, uh, The Last Duel. Which nice. is a, you know, uh, Ridley Scott directed it famously, you know, did not do well at the box office. Um, right. Ridley Scott blamed millennials for looking at their phones. <laughs> I think he meant Gen Z's because he's very much an old yes. touch out of man who's selling at a cloud. Um, yes, yes. But I, but the, I mean, I, I really, I get it. I don't know how you sell an action movie that is, that is about um, how sh- shitty it is to be a woman and like all the horrible things that come with that. And just kind of. Yep. And like where a rape is central to the movie. And it also has a structure that is done like, um you know, where you see like things from three people. It's such a like really, really good movie that is incredibly difficult to watch. Like I do not think I will go back to this movie for five ten years yeah. as much as I liked it. And it had really good action set pieces. It is not a rewatchable movie, um, but God damn it. Like it is good. Like Jodie Comer, Mm. Uh, holy shit! Like she, I've I've been a really big fan of hers for the past couple of years because of Killing Eve. But yeah, man, she is fucking incredible in this. Like the way that it, because you know, going into it, you know, like this is a movie where you know, like it deals with like these issues like rape and stuff like that, and so that is intense. But it's so much more than it's like. And this is kind of spoilers, but um, you know, it's that's not the worst thing that happens to her in the movie. Like her, like having to deal with the patriarchy and, like, like her husband Matt, like, it's Matt Damon, I think also probably, like, Jodie Comer deserves an Oscar, I think Matt Damon also deserves an Oscar for this, um, which he, and uh, uh, he co-wrote this with um, Ben Affleck, uh, right. and they were originally kind of gonna play the parts, and I think that if you know this movie had come out when it was supposed to, like, five, ten years ago, um, Ben Affleck would have, because he was very much playing those kind of, like, abrasive parts like the people like the guy in Gone Girl. Um, yep. But I think that you don't want to play like a guy who's like a horrible rapist. Like I think, like um, Adam Driver, you know, he did it. Um, but yeah, it's just how she has to do all this stuff. And there's one scene and I'll kind of spoil it, but it's, it's the most horrific scene. And it's not like the rape scene. It's the scene like after which she's like kind of like finally like tells her husband Matt Damon about it. And he yeah. just like, he just loses his mind. Like in the trailer, you see him say, can he do nothing but evil but like it cuts off a line where he says can he do nothing but evil to me like he yeah. doesn't even care about his wife that was yep. right ra- he's like this is he's a personally attacking me and then he's like all right well let's have sex right now after she's just been raped because he's yeah. like i'm gonna be the he's not gonna be the last person to have sex with you and i'm just like this is so fucking horrific it just it's hard it's like and i'm a man like a, a straight cis white dude watching this and i'm just like wow this is horrible for me to watch I can't even imagine you know somebody yeah. you know who's like it's it's felt just really really powerful Um, obviously I, I want to mention that you know while I said it was um, written by uh, uh, Damon and Affleck they also had a female co-writer I'm trying to look up her name I really should uh, uh, know this thank you yes um, yeah. so it was I felt it was you know it's very good that they had um, her on the film writing uh, from a female perspective yeah. But, yeah, really, really good and important. And I, I think, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, sexual assault is a, you know, something that is needs to be handled really well and delicately in a film. And I think that this movie does a good job of it. I also think that the way – I was worried when I realized the framing method of it where it was going to tell three different yeah. people's story. I'm like, are you going to really give equal weight to – like, the rapist and stuff, but the way that, like, built it up, like, okay, here's his story, and then here's Matt Damon's story, and then here's, like, the real story, the last half, um, being kind of her, you know, story, I felt like was a really, uh, smart way to do it, um, especially since you see Matt Damon start as the first half, the beginning is kind of, like, a buffoon, and then in his story, he's kind of the hero, and then you see that he's actually a horrible fucking monster, like, he is awful, and just kind of, like, how she is just trapped like, she is absolutely trapped. And even when she tries to get justice, it's like she's going to get killed. And even if she does get justice, she's still trapped with this monster of a man that she's just been sold off to, basically, by her yeah. father. Um, just great film. <laughs> difficult to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, really well said. I um, watched this as well. Um, this is just just outside my top 10. Um, the thing that I've heard about this, I heard a couple different reviews about this, and uh, I think Jeff Canata on the on the slash film cast <clears throat> didn't really care for this way. It was out of his top 10. Um, but he was saying how the story of the rape, <coughs> the depiction of the rape was not, uh, depicted, uh, vastly different from her point of view than from the men's. And I think that misses the point because what, like you said, the, the thing that it's, I think this movie is trying to get across is that the act itself doesn't need to be, um, shown differently it's the it's re, repercussions and the um the uh what do you call it the effect not the effect but the way in which um people that are listening to the to, to the woman after the fact changes vastly different and like you said the way Matt Damon reacts to hearing about it is vastly different than when he's telling a story from his perspective and i think that's what the movie is trying to get across is that believing women is is incredibly important but it's also incredibly important how we react to and how we as society um talk to the women and, and 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 make them central in the discussion about it so yeah i think you're absolutely right about that uh yeah again a very very difficult movie to watch <laughs> but i think i think it's yeah. one of one of my favorites of the year mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so we are at number one. Before we get to number one, uh, let's do some honorable mentions real quick. Just outside my just outside my top ten, I have Luca, the animated film from earlier this year. I thought that was really really great. Um, a uh, I think I mentioned before, but a uh, series that's almost completed. It's a ten episode uh, HBO Max show. Um, it's on um, episode nine right now. It's called Station Eleven. It's incredible. Uh, Post pandemic. Uh, miniseries it's it's really really great i loved love loved the beatles get back I lo- i'm a huge nerd i'm a huge process nerd for all of that stuff so if you're if you're also a process nerd and you like the beatles i would absolutely recommend watching that <coughs> and um you mentioned uh <coughs> last time you were on the card counter was very very good yes, i liked yes. that a lot uh pig with uh nicholas cage was incredible the more i think about it the more i want to boost it up to the top 10 um Hacks was very very good from the early this year. Again, again, Jean Smart is great in everything she was in this year. Um, a movie from a filmmaker I really really like, um, Christian Petzold, did uh, Phoenix, and he did um, another movie from a few years ago called uh, Transit was very good. This he uh, had a movie out last year called uh, Undina it is a German French romantic fantasy drama <laughs> directed by him. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, it's very very good. I would highly recommend watching that, and uh, that's about it. House of Gucci was that it was fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Really liked West Side Story. <clears throat> um, so that's about it. What do you? Uh, what's just outside of your top ten for this year?
1: So just must, I, I do want to say I did not. I really wanted to get a chance to see, but I, there was a couple movies I didn't get a chance to see, which were yeah. Licorice Pizza, uh, yeah. King's Kingsman, um, Nightmare Alley, and then um, the. The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is going to come yes. to Apple pretty soon, so I haven't got a chance yes, to see it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I missed those ones, so those won't be on my list. <coughs> Excuse me. With um, Some ones that I really liked, like I'd previously mentioned, Don't Look Up, I liked that a lot. Um, Falcon, the Winter Soldier was really good, and Hawkeye, um, along with uh, Shang-Chi, so a lot of the Marvel stuff that came out this year, uh, I thought was really good. Uh, Power of the Dog, like you had talked about, uh, didn't quite make my top 10, but I thought was really good. Pig as yep. well. Um Last Night in Soho, I thought was – had a little bit of a I, – I don't – I'm still thinking about yeah. deciding if I like the ending or not, but I did like that movie quite a bit. Um, uh, and then uh, The Harder They Fall, I thought was a really, really interesting uh, western that just oh, yeah. depicts things in a much different way than you would normally see, uh, just uh, just kind of uh, like that it was just like, hey – you know, you don't see black cowboys a lot in movies. This movie is just completely about black cowboys, um, not about white versus black cowboys, the white guys being bad guys or the white guys being the good guys or anything. It's just black cowboys, which I thought was cool. Um, and then uh, one movie that I, that kind of surprised me, it wasn't an incredible movie, but I just had a fun, a ton of fun watching it, was uh, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. If you like the games, um, it's just a good oh, yeah. dumb action movie yep. uh, that I, I've really just enjoyed watching. Uh, so those are my other uh, honorable mentions.
0: Very nice. Um, And so my number one is still (laughs) Bo Burnham's inside. It's still, (laughs) still sit at number one, even though I thought about my list again, rearranged some stuff, but yeah, Bo Burnham is still, still number one. It's, it's a masterful work of modern day satirical, but sincere dissection of the online world. And the way we try to stay connected during the pandemic, it's, it's how you make art in 2021. You know, he's, he's talking about throughout the entire thing of just like, I'm a white guy. I'm a straight white man. And I want to talk about social issues. I want to talk about what's going on in the world today. But so much of it, um, you feel like you don't have a place to talk about it. You want to center the discussion. You want to center the people into discussion that the you know atrocities are happening too. But you also want to say, "I am an ally. I'm here for, for you. I'm supporting your your uh, fight, the good fight, and all that stuff." That's how I felt about um, talking
1: about the last duel right now.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He. um you know, and the thing I mentioned about, um, musicals this year is that the, if you separate the music from the musical, if you want to listen to it separately, I think that's a huge success. That's a huge plus in my book for the, for that type of stuff. And this, the music that he made for this absolutely works separate from the thing itself. You can listen to this on Spotify. This is, this is one of my, uh, top things I listened to this year was, you know, uh, white woman Instagram and, um, mm-hmm. All. Of the, let me pull up some of the uh, other songs in here. But yeah, just um, curious if you watched this, and curious if this is as high as on your list is, is mine. I,
1: I did like it. Um, I, I think I gave this one four out of five stars on my letterbox. Um, I didn't mention it on my animal mentions. I probably could have. Um, but you know, it's it's one of the better films. I thought like this year, uh, very interesting. Like I don't know if you would call this a documentary or uh, just like a straight up movie or what, because it is kind of this weird hybrid but it is just kind of i think the most interesting thing it does and it does a lot of interesting things is kind of just plays with the form a lot uh i really found that to be intriguing
0: yeah yeah um so like welcome to the internet is great um all eyes on me um which one was the one he did. Oh that that funny feeling is one of the best songs on here and it was covered by Phoebe Bridgers, one of my favorite uh, new artists I've I've gotten into in the, in the past couple of years. She did a cover of that and you, there's a video that went viral of him at a concert watching her uh do the cover of that. Um and it is he, he he's so so genius about like, you know, covering uh, important social issues, but also making it funny, but also making it satirical. M- making, making a point of it in a different way that you really haven't heard before. Um, you know about like there's a there's a part near the middle that isn't a song, but he's just like you know I am the social ambassador to Nabisco I'm a, or, or for you know Fig Newtons. Like Fig Newtons, uh, it's not a, it's not about just selling Fig Newtons. Now you have to say like what does Fig Newtons want to say about Black Lives Black, Black Lives Matter? Now it's just like you know it's a very very interesting and genius way of presenting things uh, in the world now, you know? And it's a, it's a, one of those things where you can look back on and be like, why was he doing this inside? He doesn't really mention by name the pandemic, but you just know why he's doing it. Um, <clears throat> also very heart- heartbreaking that he mentioned near the beginning that he had, you know, a lot of social anxiety, a lot of panic attacks, doing uh performances for about four, four or five years and he had finally built up the courage to go back out and do it and that was the beginning of 2020 so really mm-hmm. really smart funny heartbreaking genius thing of this year just one of the best things i've seen in a very long time
1: yeah yeah no i definitely enjoyed it um as well
0: yeah uh so what is your best thing you saw this year so
1: you know 10 my tendency was like okay like i'm gonna you know I try to consider myself an, like an actual connoisseur, like a real film critic. And so I was like, yeah. all right, you know, so I was kind of like thinking about The Last Duel and The Green Knight. And then they have this kind of, you know, you know, more prestige movies. Um, but you know what? I just kept, cu- I couldn't not pick this for my number one. I have to pick uh, Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. It's just, yep. <laughs> it's so good. It's just so, <laughs> it's just what, like you like, you like all the stuff you said about it when you, you touched on it on your list. But man, this movie—it gives you everything that you would want. Like going into it, I was like, "There's no way that it's going to have all of the Spider-Man, and it's going to give me a Charlie Cox cameo, and it's gonna like deliver on all of these different things." And and yet it does that. It does all of these things that are fan service that are very like nostalgic leaning, that are you know just kind of there for the fans. But it also. It makes it feel like there is a reason for all of this. Like, I was like, okay, it's going to – it'll probably have Toby and Andrew and that'll be fun. But it was – no, the reason they were in it, like – I mean, I know the reason they were in it. But, like, they, the, yeah. the reason in terms of the film they were in it, it felt organic and natural. And it felt like a natural progression for them to be in this universe, like, have them kind of pulled in and kind of the way that they are dealing with these issues. Like, the issues that they were dealing with that you saw them deal with in their movies are – perfectly positioned for what, you know, he is going... The Spider-Man that is, you know, the Tom Holland sp- version of Spider-Man is going through. And to see, you know, Andrew Garfield dealing with how he wasn't able to save Gwen. And then having, you know, Tobey Maguire, you know, he's he's older, he's wiser, but he's still dealt with all these things where he feels this guilt over letting Uncle Ben die. And, you know, he's there when... They're both there when Aunt May dies for him and just... It, it shocked me at how... Absolutely, just this much was both a fun, like just MCU, just like everything I would want from a Spider Man movie, but also a damn good movie, like in the way that I don't think I've seen since Spider Man 2. Like, I've loved every Spider Man film, but this just felt like it's a good fucking movie that also just gives me all of the things I would want when I was 12, when I was 21, and when I'm 32. (laughs) Like, it's got everything that I would want. From a movie. And I'm seeing that it's getting a really big push from Disney for in all categories, (laughs) including Best Picture, which I like, there's no fucking way. Like, I mean, even Disney owning half the world, I don't think that they could do it. But like, ah, that would be so cool if it just got a nomination. Because, you know, I do want to see the Academy Awards give Best Picture to a movie like this that is very affecting and emotional while still being a big budget movie. It doesn't all have to be. The Last Duel and The Green Knight, as much as I love those movies and I hope both of them get nominated, I also hope this gets nominated. And in the 70s, you know, movies like this would get nominated. Star Wars got nominated. Jaws got nominated. True. And they don't really do that anymore. Um, they, It's all kind of just about prestige pictures and quote unquote whatever that means. Uh, so I, I would really love for movies like this to get some love and for this kind of like there is a lot of people out there who who are big film buffs who look down their noses at yeah. Marvel stuff, and I really it pisses me off so much yeah. as somebody who is a really big film fan and who is a really big fan of Marvel stuff. It's not all incredible; they miss the mark sometimes, but yeah. they hit when they hit it. Like this was so good, and yes. it deserves recognition.
0: Yeah, the last thing they recognize as the Academy, in terms of I guess you know big budget. Um, fantasy epic i guess was lord of the rings right mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. that was you know that was, 20 yeah, years that's
1: that's the only time a fantasy film has ever won best picture i guess unless you count the shape of water um y- yeah it's kind of a hazy area but yeah genre <laughs> films do badly yeah at at the you know uh at the oscars and big blockbusters also do badly but i yeah. think that you know there is a real genre bias and a real bias against these kind of movies
0: yeah, I'm so conflicted about that kind of stuff. You know, I think about that stuff a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, Big Picture talks about this a lot of, you know, what does it mean to be nominated? Should they have a popular uh, movie category? Should this be segregated to its own category? All this stuff. Um, I don't know, man. I really don't know. Because you then you get into that area of like, you know, what does an award mean? Is the, uh, is the Oscars so out of touch? Nobody watches the Oscars anymore. So would a would an average MCU fan, right, watch the Oscars and be disappointed if it wasn't nominated? You know, so it's like if you're if you're not catering to the audience that watches the Spider-Man movies, then what is the point of nominating it, right?
1: Yeah, well I think, you know, that's like the Oscars are trying to be relevant and I think that's why they were like, oh, we, we're gonna have a popular movie one so we can get that, you know, Spider Man viewer like in without having to like quote unquote taint our like the best picture so we can have our separate best picture winner over here and still get that audience but not actually have to really give them the award um so that's something i was i was very much like uh fuck this like this is just a way for you to to not really recognize these movies while still grabbing their audience
0: yeah i'm looking at like the, the top um predictions for the uh not best picture nominations from uh, what's this uh, Variety? So they have Belfast number as number one, Power of the Dog number two, and then you have a fantasy epic Dune as number three. So that's interesting. If you if you include that, is that.
1: Interesting.
0: yeah, if you include that, you could also then make a case for for Spider Man. But it's you know I think what they what they try to avoid uh, the Academy does right is to to mm. say like okay Spider Man you made a billion dollars you don't need an award as well <laughs> your award was. <laughs> Money, right? Yeah, I feel like yeah. I feel like their mentality, wrong or right, is you know you you either get an award, you either get recognized critically, and you get a, a, an award at the end of the year, or you get cash. <laughs> you can't have both, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And uh, I think you know that's that was one of the things where you know Harvey Weinstein back in the '90s was able to kind of just like go against like Saving Private Ryan, you know, like this big, True. you know budget budget uh movie that probably should have won Best Picture, but he was able to kind of campaign against it and, you know, go for, you know, I think it was what Shakespeare in Love uh that beat it out that year. And just, I know people are still angry about that. And uh, yeah so, yeah, I think that it's like, yeah, you don't, you know, it is that mindset where you don't need the, oh, well, the, the, this is something separate. People who go see movies, the masses can go have their, they, you can get your reward from that, but we're going to kind of have the hoity-toity crowd, which as I think, a bullshit dichotomy that doesn't need to exist in movies
0: yeah absolutely I mean at the end of the day too you have you know one award one best picture and it's interesting because you have so many best pictures especially from the past few years but also you know 20 30 years ago the best picture winner just like with I think of American Idol a lot of times I don't watch American Idol but I know the winner doesn't always go on to be super successful the winner of the best picture like with Green book, or with a lot of these movies are just completely forgotten about. So again, it's like these, these, these movie companies and movie studios push so hard and spend so much time and so much money getting these movies to be nominated for an award that is kind of irrelevant. You know, I don't, I really don't understand that very much. Like when's the last time you watched Slumdog Millionaire? <laughs> Slumdog um,
1: Millionaire is fine, but like who, like who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, like it's, it's a very forgettable yeah. movie that was, like, big for a moment, but we moved on, you know? Nobody cares.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just getting back to Spider-Man, <laughs> talked about that actual movie. <laughs> um, really, really great. I agree with everything you said. Um, so... Um, the 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 way in which they include so much stuff like you said so many characters so much story so much backstory so much so much story um talking about Tom Holland and his trilogy making this movie and making his trilogy basically what what we have right now right is his three movies homecoming far from home and no way home is his origin story really so we didn't get a origin story for tom holland spider-man we didn't need it and you know again you don't need to make an origin story for spider-man everyone knows it but it's very interesting and so cool that we have this built-in origin story for him going forward because now nobody knows spider-man nobody knows peter parker or nobody what was the actual wish or the actual mechanics of that does nobody nobody remember spider-man or nobody remembers peter parker himself
1: i think nobody remembers peter parker himself
0: okay so they, they remember spider-man
1: yeah which is something so else i liked a lot that he just kind of had this sacrifice he sacrificed yeah. his, like his own self as a person you know like because he wanted people to forget that he was spider-man but people still remember spider-man and these heroics but like he like has no personal connections like he has all these great achievements and stuff like that but no one knows who he is he's lost like his his aunt died his you know, so the only people that he cares about in the world, like his, his friends, his superhero friends don't remember who he is. His girlfriend doesn't remember who he is. His best friend doesn't remember who he is. So he's just truly alone. And to have him yeah. have, make that kind of heroic sacrifice at the end of this movie to just kind of go above and beyond and – you know, that's what's so great about Spider-Man. And I think that's what's so great about this movie is that Spider-Man, even in the movies that I've liked of Spider-Man, he just is kind of like saving the world, saving people. Um, and he does have to sacrifice things. And I I've really appreciated that. But he, in this movie, he's not just like stopping a big sky being from turning people into lizards or, you know, yeah. doing whatever it might, stopping a bad guy. He's trying to save people. And that's what is, makes Spider-Man such a great hero is that he's concerned with helping people out even these quote-unquote bad guys dr strange is like yeah they made the choice we're gonna send him back because he's like no at great personal cost he is trying to help these people and that's who peter parker is at his core is someone who wants to just save people and help people and do the most good for just the individual that he can in the world and this is the first movie that i feel like has really hit that head
0: yeah, absolutely. Like the the entire characterization of Peter Parker was just a kid from Brooklyn. He's broke. He's not, you know, in the comics he's an Avenger, but you know, the the story that people know of him is he's just this small kid from Brooklyn that's just trying to do the best he can. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. They brought him back. They brought him back to his roots in, in this movie really, really well. Um, just to put my new cap on there and just to get a little minutia. Yeah. <laughs> did Doctor Strange say everyone in the world? Is going to forget Peter Parker? So does that mean that Thor and the Guardians, being off-world, would remember him?
1: I don't know. That's a good question.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Guardians. Uh, who else? Captain Marvel was off-world. Eternal. I mean, the Eternals don't know him, but Captain Marvel would know him still. So that's interesting. Um, so he has some some people out there that could, that he could reach out to if he, if he needs to, if you, if he wanted to. Um, but yeah. yeah so yeah. that is that is our top ten list of everything from twenty twenty one. Um, I'll go back and insert some of the uh, some stuff in there. So I'll put that on the website on the uh, website and uh, on the file itself for the podcast, so people can actually look look into that. So, yeah, not like you said, not a great year, not a great in twenty twenty one, but uh, <laughs> some <laughs> other things, some things that I still got to watch. Looking at the the um, best of stuff that Variety has for for Oscars, Drive My Car is like nowhere. Drive My Car is a movie from uh yeah this this great director i don't have his name in front of me but um one of the one of the movies people keep keep talking about over and over again i still like you said i still got to see licorice pizza i think it literally just came out yesterday around here so i'm actually going to get to see that tomorrow which i'm very excited about uh nightmare alley eh, i've heard some middle things about that <laughs> not too, not too too excited about that um come on come on is a movie that i'm excited to see from a24 with um walking uh, phoenix i heard that i heard very good things about that um, just, just going down the list of things I still want to see. Uh, Flea from Neon. I feel like Neon is a great, uh, competitor for A24 in terms of smaller, uh, distributors that are, that are working today. Um, yeah, a couple of movies we didn't mention. Uh, Spencer we saw that we talked about that we weren't too high on. Um, Red Rocket, I still got to see from Sean Baker. Um, obviously director of things like, um, The Florida Project. I uh, really want to see that still. Um, yeah, just 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 a pretty good year, <laughs> you yeah, know. Twenty nineteen, yeah. I think. I think recently, recently biased aside, twenty nineteen was one of the best years we've had in a very long time. And I think it will be one of the best years, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, for a while. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Jesus, that yeah. was such such an incredible year. Yeah, yeah. twenty
1: nineteen. That was a hell of a time.
0: Yeah, the heady days of 2019.
1: We didn't know know that was the best we were going to get for a while. (laughs) We didn't know it was ahead of us.
0: Yep, go back, go back and say, like, do that Adam Sandler thing of hold on to your childhood. Hold on to it. (laughs) Grab yourself by the face and be like, hold on to this feeling. (laughs) It's all going to go away very soon. As long (laughs) as you can. Yep. (laughs) Yep. All right. So I think that'll bring us to the end of this podcast. Thank you for coming on. (coughs) I wish you would, uh, would able to come on last year, but we had a little, uh, scheduling snafu. Uh, really wish you'd come on to that. Um, but yeah, glad, glad glad we could get get together and do this. Um, this is a lot lot of fun. Thank you for, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. All right, so I think that'll do it for Can I Say Something? I have been Damian.
1: And I've been Derek.
0: And we'll see you next week or in two weeks or sometime. See you then. Bye. (laughs)